I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us worship the Lord our God. Seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall 
those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Love divine, all loves excelling. We praise you, our God, for you are our good and loving shepherd. You lead us to virgin pastures and to restoring waters. You clear our pathways before us, even as we travel the rough wilderness roads of Lent. You comfort us in dark valleys and provide us tables laden with rich food and drink. And always, you provide us a safe dwelling place in your fold. For these gracious gifts, we are lost in wonder, love, and praise of your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in the sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord, and because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, so all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad. You'll find that on the end of your pew. If you will sign your name, send it down and back again. We will have the advantage of each other's names as we greet one another following worship. And one little program note on that, our ushers love it when you tear the last sheet off and lay it on top of it to make it easy for the, uh, the ushers to clean up after worship. We'd also be delighted if you would join us for a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall just out this door to my right and down a short hallway there you will see that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments but most importantly you will find that we have the opportunity to gather together and to join with one another in our common life i'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin and, and one update that's not in the bulletin for your particular attention the first is to note that we have a volunteer opportunity on wednesday from 10 to 3 at Urban Tree Connection. Carl Miller would be delighted to hear from you. He's uh, on the left, on about a third of the way back. If you'd like to know more about Urban Tree Connection or to participate in that, just reach out to Carl. And likewise, on Thursday, our TNT group, our 20s and 30s, will be taking dinner to the Christian Association at the University of Pennsylvania. And many hands makes light work. So uh, if you would like to participate in that, contact Elaine Hanby or find her after worship also on the lectern side a third of the way from the back. Uh, with these two things noted, I commend the rest of, well, there is one more. The Linton book study is ongoing in the McCall room following worship. You don't need to have read in advance. Just come and enjoy together uh, discussing Frederick Buechner's book, Wishful Thinking. That's 1230 in the McCall room. And now, Andrew, for our unscheduled announcement. <laughs> and one scheduled. Good morning, everybody. 
Uh, I would like to draw your attention to the insert in your bulletin for the um, wine tasting, the musical wine tasting, which is happening this Wednesday night at 7 p.m., um, featuring our beloved and illustrious Brian Chu over there, and also our, well, she still is one of us, Hannah Ludwig, who has gone off to the world stage, but is coming back to uh, lend her voice for us. Um, it is gonna be a really, really fun evening um, with musical selections paired with um, several uh, types of wine. Um, and I guarantee you will have a good time. Um, we would like you to register in advance just so we know how many to set up for and how many glasses to prepare and all of that. You may pay at the door, but if you could let us know in advance, um, that would be um, really appreciated. And if you don't wanna do it on Realm, we encourage you to do it on Realm, but if you'd like to just call the office, you can also just let Sue know, and that would be fine as well. Um, and now to our beloved organ here, here is a little announcement. Um, we are waiting for some of the parts yet still to arrive. Um, so I know many of you are um, anxious to have it back. Believe me, I more than any of you am anxious to have it back, but um, it is receiving a brain transplant. Um, this is not just a little um, thing. They're removing all of the innards of the console and completely replacing them. Um, so it's quite involved, and um, we should have it back by Holy Week and Easter. If not, there will be a plan in place for that, much better than what's behind me. Um, but what's behind me has served us well, and it owes us nothing. So keep your fingers crossed, keep the prayers going forward, and we'll see all of you on Wednesday night at 7. Thank you, Andrew. For more details on any of this, you may turn to our church webpage. With that noted, let us now continue our worship with our confession of sin. Jesus calls each of us to enter into the life of discipleship, the joy of following in his way, even through the wilderness journey of Lent. But sin clings closely, and we struggle to respond fully to Christ's invitation to journey with him. Let us seek God's forgiveness so that we may fully know the joy of his presence. Let us pray together using the prayer of confession in the bulletin, and then pray in silence. Merciful and gracious God, we confess our sin. Our ways have not been right. Our motives have not been pure. Our hearts have not been grace-filled. We have not fulfilled the holy calling to be your people, showing your grace and mercy to all the world. We have not shared as we might. We have judged where we should not. We have not loved as you love us. We have focused on ourselves and our desires, and not on the needs of others. Give us the grace of true penitence. Brush away all that we have put between ourselves and you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake.
God seeks you out relentlessly with an abundance of grace and mercy. God seeks us all out relentlessly and brings forgiveness. This is good news. Believe the promise of the gospel. First lesson today is from the Psalter. 
probably one of the best known and best loved readings in our church. And I invite you, if you would like to, to say it with me, to read it, to proclaim it, either silently or in your voice, reading the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. The second lesson is from the Epistle to the Ephesians, reading from chapter 5. Listen for Paul's words to the church in Ephesus. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. Our gospel lesson today is not the gospel lesson from the lectionary, because while we have been Wandering around in John's Gospel, the lectionary omitted an important text from John for our Lenten discipline, and so I have taken it upon myself to add it back in, which is why we will be reading from the second chapter of John, uh, the 13th verse to the 22nd. Listen for the word of God. <clears throat> the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip out of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple with the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house shall consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? 
Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The late Fred Craddock tells a story about a time when he was invited to participate on a team to help prepare parish priests for the changes that were coming to the Catholic liturgy. He writes, I recall in the 1960s there was what was called the Second Vatican Council of the Roman Catholic Church. Changes were made in the Roman Catholic Church that were the most radical in centuries, so radical, in fact, that Rome knew that the churches, and especially the priests, would be upset. So teams of folks were sent to go to the churches, to go to the gatherings of priests all over this country and Europe to talk with them about the changes and try to get them to understand. They anticipated strong negative reactions, and so it was. Craddock goes on, although a Protestant, I was asked to join a Jesuit priest and go along as one of these teams. Since the changes in the Roman Catholic Church involved more preaching, they thought maybe a Protestant who was in the field of preaching might be helpful to the exercise, and so I went. I learned a great deal, he said. The Jesuit priest, Father Gene Monahan, was a prince of a man, a marvelous man, and I learned so much from him. I remember our first lesson. I was sitting in the front row because I was to take part in the discussion. I had no formal presentation that day. Out onto the platform came Father Monahan, who was barefooted. He had on a little pair of whitewashed trousers and a t-shirt, an undershirt. That's all. He looked at the priests and he said, I am 54 years old. I have spent most of my adult life 
with my back turned to the congregation as I ministered to the altar. Now my church says, turn around and face the people. I have spent most of my life hiding among the incense pots and the candles, doing my work as a clergyman. And now the church says, come out and be with the people. I have spent most of my adult life saying the Mass in Latin. And now my church says, speak English so the people will understand it. And on and on he went, describing the changes. When he came to the end, he said to the priests that were gathered, as you can see, I have been stripped of almost everything. The only thing I have left is God. I cannot help but think of those priests in the Jerusalem temple. They were doing what they knew how to do, what they had spent a lifetime doing. It couldn't have been easy to be a Levite. Everybody knows that you have to do the animal sacrifices a certain way or they are not pleasing to God. The law said so. And everybody knows the temple treasury of all places needed to follow the law, which clearly prohibits graven images. So somebody needed to change out the Roman money with the emperor's image on it for money that would be appropriate to a house of worship so that the temple can remain pure. Everybody needs a pure temple, and nobody wants to do the hard work to keep it so. I have sympathy for those priests in the Jerusalem temple. I suspect when Jesus walked in, cracking his whip and turning over tables, those priests were cut to the quick with the equation of their life's work to being a den of thieves. Meanwhile, Jesus becomes an instant folk hero, having done the verbal equivalent of torching the IRS office. An easy reading of this story could leave us with this impression. A facile reading, taking only the synoptic gospel's presentation of the story, pits the hero against the evil, diabolical, money-grubbing temple hierarchy. Without greater understanding, Jesus appears to be endorsing an anarchical overthrow of the bureaucracy that supported the government. But a closer reading, one that includes John's version of the different story, tells a different tale. Unlike the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke present Jesus as a hard-charging proponent of some well-placed civil disobedience, John presents the cleansing of the temple in a wholly different light. John doesn't tell this story at the end of the gospel narrative as Jesus enters Jerusalem on a fa fatal trajectory for the cross, but rather John tells it at the beginning of the story. 
Uh, unlike the Synoptic Gospels presentation where the priests then leave and go and conspire to kill Jesus, here in John's Gospel, they ask him a question. They ask by what means he does this and to give them a sign. And he answers, as he is sometimes wont to do in John rather cryptically, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Not at the end of the story, but at the beginning. John had a reason for telling it this way. He's using this story about Jesus to make a point about Jesus and about what it means to follow him. And the point he is making is contained within the text itself. When Jesus refers to the temple, he means not only an historical place in Jerusalem, but also his very own being. And your very own being. John's story of the cleansing of the temple is mean, meant to bring us to a place of introspection and penitence, where, like those priests following the Second Vatican Council, we find that all has been stripped away that would distract us, and only God remains. Now, we need to resist the temptation to make the temple synonymous with the church in this story. If that were an accurate approach, then one could begin with a rough comparison between the two, seeking the ways in which the church more or less falls short of the mark of distinguishing between God and mammon. And while that probably is a useful exercise some of the time, that's not what is happening in this story, and therefore that would be a lazy interpretation of the text. It might leave us even assuming that if money appears in the church, then we have set up money changers in the temple, and that is a false pretext. Particularly, it is a false pretext because Jesus assumes that we will give. So this story isn't about money, and it isn't even about the animals that were stored there in the temple courtyard. This is a story about cleaning out what needs to be cleaned out. I'm sure there are lessons for the institutional church, but at its heart, this is a story about penitence. And penitence has to do with you and your journey and me and my journey. The temple Jesus says he will destroy and raise up is his very own body. And in the Hebrew understanding of the body, it is inseparable from the soul. To seek to cleanse the body is to seek to cleanse the very soul of a person. That is the discipline of penitence to which Jesus calls us. So yes, while there surely are idolatries in the church that need to be unmasked and there is no shortage of sacred cows in any institution, the cleansing of the temple is a story directed to you and me about your journey and about my journey. We are more than halfway through this season of penitence that is called Lent. 
And the purpose of all of that prayer and fasting that Jesus refers to throughout the Gospels is to clean out what needs cleaning out. We do well to remember that Jesus does assume that we are going to take our, turn our attention inward in order to engage in the disciplines of faith, activities like praying, giving, fasting. He assumes that we will turn our attention inward so that we can determine what we need to do or need not to do in order to seek God's way for us. He assumes all of these things. But halfway through Lent, it is a bit late for me to change my tune and say that we need to give up eating certain things or flush ourselves with oat bran and water. So how then does one engage in a season of penitence as we walk through Lent together? I should not give you a template. What would work for me is not guaranteed to work for you. I could, however, suggest that we begin by clearing away what stands between us and God. And granted, as soon as I say that, I need to follow up by saying there is a limit to what we can accomplish on our own. As effective as we are, at setting up obstacles for ourselves and coming to God, we are remarkably bad at removing the very same obstacles. Some things can be stripped away only by God. There are certain things that we carry that only God can unburden from us. Penitence begins in prayer and confession because we must surely know that there are aspects of our lives that stand in need of God's repair. The truth of sin is that we sin in our best deeds as well as our worst. And we join the company of the saints when we acknowledge what we place between ourselves and God. But only God can cleanse us. So the church necessarily must be wary of making penitence into something of a quasi-works righteousness where, whereby once a year we attempt to turn ourselves into super disciples who do even better than the original twelve in following Jesus and therefore pat ourselves on the back for being so good. We need to know our limitations and forgiving our own sin is one of them. Only God can do that. But that said, there are certain things that we can do. We can start the process of cleaning out the temple with certainty that we are not the ones who will finish the work, but rather God will. I can't tell you what you need to clean out. I'll admit that for a few of you, I have some ideas. Just as I am sure that a few of you have ideas about things I might stand to do better. Penitence is the discipline of seeking God's way for your life. Not once a week on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Constantly seeking 
God's way for your life, being open to God's direction, listening, praying, spending time in silence. If we will do these things, and we may have to stay with it for a while, generally, discernment follows. God doesn't ask us to do the work of examining our lives, examining our relationships and our priorities without the help of God's Spirit. We don't fix ourselves, but we can open ourselves to how God would help us heal. The problem with penitence, as I see it, is that so many of us have come to view it as the moral equivalent of putting on a dirty old flour sack and sitting in the dump with a pile of dirt on our heads like Job did and wallowing in the misery of our sin. God takes no delight in that. Indeed, remember well the lessons of the major and minor prophets. When confronting the people about their sin, the prophets didn't suggest that the people should make up ever more elaborate ways to sacrifice and deprive themselves, but instead the prophets urged the people to seek the way of life that lifts up those who suffer, that feeds those who are hungry, that releases those who are captive to a way of life that grinds them down. In other words to seek a more abundant life. True penitence leads to discernment, and discernment leads to the discipline required to make the changes that push away the obstacles that we have placed between ourselves and God. John's Gospel is the one where Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. The life abundant is a life lived toward God. Sometimes we need to strip away everything that is irrelevant in order to find what is most important. But that does not mean we have to go about it in a gloomy way. The fundamental experience of Christian faith is not supposed to be a dour, looming Calvinism. I've often heard it said that Presbyterianism can be defined by the secret nagging fear that somebody somewhere is having fun. No, that is not the function of Christian faith. To follow Jesus Christ means to be freed to live as we are created to live, to worship as we are created to worship, and to be with one another as Christ is with us. I hope you have known someone in your life who just exudes Christian joy I've known many. What I can tell you from observing it over many years is that it's not the sort of thing you can just put on. A joyful faith comes from a deep, deep grounding 
in Jesus Christ. It comes from listening to our lives and clearing out what stands between us and the ground of our being. We all know, I hope, the sort of folks who follow Christ and find that joy is following them. If it's not the case, maybe we need to clean out some things that need cleaning out. You know, Craddock didn't say any more about it, but I wonder, I suspect, when Father Monahan found that he was left with only God, if in the end his grief turned to joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Apostles' Creed is the church's baptismal profession of faith, reminding us of the faith that others have professed when we were baptized. Saying it together binds us as a spiritual family. And when some of us who are not sure about our faith cannot say it easily, Others standing here with us, say it for us. So let us say together what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God.
communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. With gratitude for God's invitation to us to become part of a living kingdom of justice and peace, and with thanksgiving for all that we have received, let us bring our gifts before God. You may bring your gifts forward to put in the offering plates now or at the end of the service, or make your gifts online.
these gifts with joy, with open hands, with open hearts. Use them as you continue to work through us to accomplish your vision of a world transformed, a peaceable kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Loving God, we take delight in the wonders around us, in the new buds of spring, in the return of morning bird song, in longer days when sun shines into warming evenings, in the music that moves our hearts, in the words of scripture that teach and comfort us in the hope of Easter and resurrection. May this delight be our gratitude. We are grateful for this place. Whether we are new worshipers here or have been members of this community for many years, we are grateful for the beauty of this sanctuary this carved stone and stained glass and polished wood that have offered the beauty of holiness to generations of the saints who have worshipped, sung, prayed, confessed their sin and received forgiveness, received the sacrament of Holy Communion, been baptized, married, and laid to rest within these walls. We pray today especially for those who are today making commitments to become members of this faith community. May we begin and close each day in gratitude for your love and care and for the love and care of neighbors and friends. We lift our many neighbors both near and far, before you in prayer. We pray for all travelers, whatever their paths, for those seeking renewal and learning in their travel, for those journeying away from war and poverty, for those traveling and moving to new homes, and for those fleeing danger, we pray silently for these. We pray for all the nations of the world family and their governments. We ask that your wisdom might guide them. We pray silently for these. We pray for neighborhoods in our city, especially where cultures and economics put wedges between people. May we help spread the love that can weave them together. We pray silently for these.
pray for those who wait at borders, especially those fleeing violence and war, and especially the children. We pray silently for these. We pray for those for whom Jesus always prayed, the widows and all who have lost love or independence, the poor, the children, for the sick, for the stranger, for the hungry, for those in prison, for enemies. We pray silently for these. We pray for the persecuted, especially today for those whose gender identities exclude them because others fear and do not understand. We pray silently for these. We pray for those who call you by other names, but sincerely bring their worship and prayers before the divine. We pray silently for these. We pray for our home, the earth, a gift of your own creation at the beginning of time for its seas and skies and mountains and all living creatures who are also our neighbors. We pray silently for these. As we have learned from childhood, you are our good shepherd. Give all your beloved ones open pastures and cool, clear waters and the community of the flock. Not the cages of the temple money changers where they are imprisoned alone and waiting to be bought or sold. As you did in Jerusalem's temple, Turn over the structures of this world that are unjust. Free us from the obstacles that are between ourselves and you. Free all people for loving and right relationship and lives of well-being and safety. These things and so many unspoken prayers that we do not even have words for, we offer you, trusting that you have promised to hear us. And as always, we take on our lips and into our hearts the words that you taught us, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
have left is God, said the priest. But in the end, that is all any of us will be left with. But we trust in the mercy of God that proclaims that we will sing in the Lord's house forever. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and to those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.